0: So this might be one of those indicative of what we're dealing with in season five, but while I've enjoyed the four episodes we've seen so far, they've also kind of slid over me, like, I, right before we sat down to talk about this, I'm thinking, what the hell, were the two episodes we watched? Like, looking over my notes, I remember them, but there's something very, I don't know, I don't want to say that they're insubstantial, they're very well done and all of that, but there feels like a vitality that's not quite in. Does that... Is this resonating at all with you? Does this make sense?
1: I, I know what you mean. I, I think that the, I...
0: There's a little less there there, maybe.
1: I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that what you're seeing is... That's kind of, I think, the, the typical reaction to Brannon Braga. And... I actually quite like his seasons of the show. I've said that before, and I will continue to say that. Even though I don't know that they really add up to much, I, I think he had some really interesting ideas. And, and one, one of the things that Brandon Braga always did very well was was high-concept uh, science fiction plots. And so it, it, what we've had so far this season, I mean, yeah. Extreme Risk isn't a high-concept science fiction plot, but but In the Flesh certainly is. and And the other two episodes, I think, this season were also that way as well. I'm not saying every episode is going to be like that, of course. I mean, like I said already, extreme risk isn't like that at all. But yeah, I, I I'm not really with that criticism. I I think that these two episodes are well, I think extreme risk is more substantial than, than in the flesh, but you know, we'll talk about that. In yeah. A few
0: and I wanna make it clear that I have plenty to talk about about these things. I just haven't gotten yet to it's – four, it's four episodes in and there hasn't been an episode I'm excited to talk about quite yet. Maybe it's a little early for that to be, but at the same time, if you're not using your – if you're not using your most exciting material as your first few episodes, maybe that's – I don't know.
1: I, I honestly don't know and I, I, I think you know maybe, I've always sort of
0: – And maybe I really like I mean, the Jerry Taylor seasons. That could be.
1: That's possible. I mean, I, I will be curious to see what your reactions, yeah. you know, to to, to season five are as we get deeper into it. Because, I mean, I'll be honest; like, I don't really think it gets much better than this. So,
0: and again, I enjoyed the episodes.
1: Yeah, but like, don't expect it to turn some kind yeah. of like immense corner and and suddenly it's a completely different show and it's very vital. I mean, well, you're, you're pretty much getting what you're going to get from it, and. I mean, well, I Voyager, guess- again, is a hard show to talk about. And we always sort of do this where we just talk about Voyager as a whole because each episode in and of itself just doesn't feel as substantial as, as previous tracks. But I, I also think that, that what you're seeing here, too, is that Voyager, you don't know what you're going to get from week yeah. to week. But that's, you know, and on some shows, that's a good thing. I uh, You know, I think, for example, like we're doing the X-Files and tuning in and that show is very different week to week. But there's always, you know, something to sink your teeth into there. There is a slipperiness, I think, to Voyager. And it's always sort of like the thing that I've always heard about the Voyager writing staff and the Voyager writing room. And, and I don't know how much true this is. I mean, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I I read those, uh, you know, sort of like oral history behind the scenes stuff of the first 50 years of Star Trek that came out a couple years ago. And what I remember from that was something that always stuck with me. And I don't remember if it was Brian and Braga. I don't remember if it was Brian Fuller or someone else who said that for most of the writing staff, the writing room of Star Trek Voyager wasn't a very pleasant place to be and for a lot of the people writing on the show this was just a job and i think the same way that people wrote for murder she wrote you know i, I, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. That they were really like invested in star trek as a concept and that's not to say that that voyager is bad or anything like that But no. it just i think that might be where some of that is coming from well
0: i think the way that I actually want to get into this episode, and I feel like I'm talking like you right now, but um, I think the way they are trying to use the Malon is kind of emblematic of how I feel Season 5 is going so far, because number one, I was surprised to see them return. I thought they were going to be a one-off in night, and my opinion on the Malon coming back is, okay, so... Every season kind of has its alien species that they introduce, whether it's the Kazon or the Vidians or um, uh, uh, um, the, the the Herosians or something like that. And the Malons are just season fives. And I don't really feel like they are going to lead to anything that exciting with them. It it almost feels like, well, I... Like, I, the existence of the Malon almost seems a little by the numbers. In, in other words, this is what Voyager does: it gives us a quadrant with an alien, it vaguely characterizes that, but they didn't have that strong of a concept for it to begin with, and so it just kind of is there. I mean, the nuclear waste aliens is about all we know about the Malon, and I'm not, yeah. su- and, and I'm not sure we're going to learn about their rich culture, for example.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but uh, but I do think that, that some of that might be intentional. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go too meta, but yeah, right, I don't want to go too meta. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I almost feel sometimes as though that is intentional on the part of the writers, that they know kind of what they're doing. Because if you look at the setting of Star Trek Voyager, and we're going to get very reductive here, so strap in – this is in this is a series, this is a television series whose central setting is this is one ship, yeah. 70,000 light years from home, trying to get there as fast as possible. So, they're not going to spend a lot of time floating around and kind of like hanging out with other alien cultures. Oh, no. they, they certainly do some of that because this is a Star Trek show. But they're not ever really going to get to know the Vidians or the Herogian or the Kazon uh, or the Melon because there's no time to. That's not their purpose, and it almost seems to me sometimes like Janeway, for example, doesn't seem like she even really knows who she's talking to, and I I, I find that I find that kind of fundamentally fascinating because it is so. Different from what we've come to expect from Star Trek, you know, we expect Star Trek to, yeah, well, we expect Star Trek characters to be really invested in talking to alien cultures, first contact, et cetera, et cetera. And how many alien species, how many alien civilizations has Janeway and the crew of Voyager made first contact with? I cannot give you a number, but I'm assuming it's in the twenties or thirties at this point. Yeah. And we have we of course have not seen some of their other adventures because this is a you know a standalone television series. But they don't really seem to be treating it as first contact very much and it's it's an yeah. interesting tension. I don't think the show is necessarily doing much with it, but but I would be like I I, I think that that is probably at least somewhat intentional.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there is the sense that uh, not only is this the only time Voyager is going to contact these people, like they're never going to see. Uh, I, I I I'm having a terrible time thinking of a species that we've met in the past few weeks but uh they're not going to see them again and neither is the species going to meet anybody from the federation most likely for a very long time so yeah it's almost as if this first contact doesn't really count uh because it is just such an isolated incident and yet the show does go out of its way to that doesn't necessarily mean they can't Uh, conduct themselves as appropriately for a first contact scenario and they certainly don't want to shoot their way out. And If if they can diplomacy their way out, if they can uh, leave with a good positive first impression, even if this is the only impression they're going to have for a couple hundred years, that's still what Janeway at least wants to try to do
1: yeah and i mean i I do think that 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 in a television series that perhaps was was more interested in establishing long term storytelling than than Voyager that this could come up but but that makes yeah. me think that part of what I find interesting about the tension of Star Trek Voyager is that and this is something the show has done a lot, just in the past few episodes, with like hope and fear, and we saw it again in this episode with the return of the Melon. We see it next uh, in the next episode, in the flesh, with the return of Species Eight Four Seven Two. That this kind of like ad hoc, you know, diplomacy, this sort of ad hoc first contact that that Janeway and the rest of the crew are, are engaging in, does have real consequences for their interactions with these alien species yeah. in the future. And, and like, for example, you know, I had – I mean, we'll talk about it In the Flesh in a minute, but, like, I had real fundamental problems with the way that the show was handling Species 8472, and then here it is a season and a half later, and, it, you know, the show has the same problems, but it's actually coming to realize that there are consequences to what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is something that I am already seeing in – this season is again, it's not quite a retcon, but there is an amount of having the greater contemplation from night and dealing with event, the events of in the flesh and things like that. I think Janeway is getting a new perspective on just how important all of this is. I think there is a possibility that she might not necessarily have viewed everybody that they've met as real. I mean, she had a hard time viewing the doctor as real. She's possibly going to have certain uh, blocks against somebody that I see once and then never see again and don't remember and don't really think about because I have so much other stuff to do. Again, I think there is the possibility of that washing over her a little too much, and I think – I, I think the show is recognizing that. Again, not that she didn't take the encounter seriously the first time, but I think she is being attuned to a larger view in a way. Yeah,
1: and I, I, I think you see that in a particular instance in Extreme Measures at the very end of the episode when the Delta Flyer uh, you know, gets the probe back and they fly off and... I I forget who says it, but basically the information they get is that the Malon ship is trying to escape from the gas giant yeah. and, and not being very successful at it. And Janeway just sort of gives this wry smile and says, OK, engage the warp engines, you know, and then the credits roll. And um, that's really fucking weird because, yeah. once again, this is a Star Trek show and like any other Starfleet captain would have tried to rescue the Malon and Janeway doesn't it doesn't even seem to occur to her that that is something that she should possibly want to try and do because that's what Starfleet and the Federation stands for I know they could not they,
0: they could have very easily oh we're trying you know Harry Kim get a uh tractor beam on them uh Janeway it's too captain it's too late we can't do it like that's all you need and then just Janeway looks pensive for a moment
1: I mean, I mean, the scene writes itself, right? Like, oh, okay, we can't get a tractor beam on them. Beam them out. Put you know, go down to the transporter room. You know, you tried to steal our probe and we still saved your life. Now this is who we are. You know, I mean, like, it's super easy. These are two different. Maybe that's why they didn't do it.
0: These are two different directions for that that are just very easy to go, whether whatever you want the theme of the episode to be. Yeah.
1: Right, so it's a little strange to me that I think that that kind of thing is cropping up more and more, and that what's interesting about it is that the show is willing to engage with it critically, but at the same time, it still does it.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, what I thought was funny watching the episode is why don't they fire on the Melon ship? Why don't they fire on the Melon shuttle once it launches? Why why are they bothering with that? Okay. Their're Starfleet they're playing fair, whoever gets to finish the ship first okay, but yeah, again, they just are content to let the Malons die anyway in the ending, so all of this did kind of didn't matter,
1: yeah, I mean, it almost seemed like a like a frat hazing or something, you know like they're they're rushing to get this ship built because they have to get the ship built um. But it is it is it is problematic. What fraternities are you pledging to that you're making ships?
0: (laughs) We just got. Well, I didn't
1: want to tell you, but I'm. We just. I'm a time traveler.
0: (laughs) In my frat, we just got naked and touched butts. It was great.
1: I was never in a frat. Who do you think I am? Uh, Uh, I didn't even go to college. That's not true. I did go to college. Unfortunately, my student loan uh, statement will tell you otherwise.
0: Um, Please join our Patreon.com slash Show to uh, help us (laughs) pay our costs.
1: Yes, we're we're both very over-schooled gentlemen who don't make a ton of money. So uh, there you go. Uh, Welcome to being a millennial. Um, But aside from all that, I mean, I, I think we've said our piece and we've taken that about as far as we can go. Uh, well, I'll give you a choice. I'll, I'll give you a choose your own adventure style. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, pay, a, a or B choice. So, do you want to engage critically with um, the the Bolana plot in this episode, or do you want to talk about the Delta Flyer first?
0: Uh, let's talk about the Delta Flyer because I'm not sure I have as much to say about it as I do about the Bolana plot.
1: Uh, the Delta Flyer exists. That's about all I have to say about the Delta Flyer. Um,.
0: I like the aesthetic of it. I like that it has these, like, old-school button panels that does go very with... They're really going to Tom Paris as the guy who is into the retro shit on this show, and... I don't know. I I, I thought it was very funny because his, uh... When he's talking about, oh, it's so boring tapping a panel, I want to actually turn a knob, I want to push a button, that actually feels like flying a thing in a way that... Yeah, you know, this touch cre- I thought it was really funny because this is what, nineteen ninety eight? And I I've, re- yeah. I've read recently a lot of people saying stuff like, Oh, one of the things that's really sucked about the twenty tens is there is no physical feedback. You are not actually touching anything. I miss clicking a keyboard, I miss you know, having a sliding phone, I miss that thing, you know, just touching a piece of glass isn't really satisfying. And I thought it was kind of funny how the show almost anticipated that i i mean i do feel like we are about to get a button but in renaissance soon
1: yeah i think that's a really good point actually i mean i it's funny how how something just that simple can kind of seem profound in different yeah. historical circumstances and i mean you know tom paris is tom paris he's going to do what he's going to do i i like the delta flyer more for I think what it says about the ambitions of the show yeah. going forward than anything else, you know, it's just kind of the, the show has really, s- I think straight away from treating these people as a crew. And I like when they get a chance to work together and do something and yeah, the Delta Flyer is just another ship. It it looks kind of cool, but at the same time, it doesn't look like a Starfleet, you know, uh, you know, wonderfully designed vessel. It's kind of cramped and a little messy and that kind of stuff. But I I, I like that that they're relying on themselves more and and doing things like that and not necessarily just throwing up their hands and and becoming depressed like Bolana. Um, so it's good. I like it. Delta Flyer. It exists now. They're going to use it a lot. So yeah. There
0: you go. Well, they built the set and all of that, so I figured that was their shiny new toy.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it is a little confusing because there's one shot of the Delta Flyer with some people outside of it, and it looks really big, and then it flies through space, and the cockpit just looks tiny, so I'm not really sure what's going on there, but that's, you know, maybe just a mistake. But that's all window and set dressing for the real meat of this episode, which is Bilana dealing with having some depression that is resulting in self-harm.
0: Uh, so just to tangent for a moment, I want to complain about Netflix for a second because I was watching this episode very invested. What is going on with B'Elanna? What is her deal? Why? And I paused it at one point and the episode description Balan dealing with depression and risk after she learns about the Maquis all dying, and I'm like, come on, you can't, you know, that that is a very and um in the flesh also says something about they find a species eight four seven two reenactment of, and it's like you could give me something a little more subtle about it, but beyond that, I really I.
1: I think I don't think Netflix writes those i I, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah and I, but, uh, I, um, I don't know
0: where they' come, yeah, it's true, but whoever writes I'm,
1: I'm rewatching I'm re-watching Mad Men and Mad Men was famous you know it was very, very widely uh, you know uh yeah, yeah. satirized for having these like extremely obtuse. Next on previous, you know, uh, uh things, and it was just like people open a door. You know.
0: And <laughs> next um, week, Don so puts on a Madigan hat, and,
1: and the Netflix, the Netflix descriptions are like, Pete has a problem at work. Uh, <laughs> Peggy meets a new Peggy. Peggy meets a new person. You know, it's like stuff like that. So I kind of have a feeling that that's CBS's fault and not necessarily Netflix's fault. But either way, yeah, whoever wrote is it, well taken.
0: Yeah, whoever wrote it is, you know, come on, but. Beyond that, I really did like this plotline because, uh... Now, partially, the timing of it is weird. Uh, I feel like this is more... Because we have to remember that these people very recently had two months of nothing. And so, this is assumedly what Bellana was doing during that two months of nothing. And it has been, uh, probably a good six months since she got that letter, right? Uh, so... Yeah. Now, of course, psychology is fun and Balana could have been repressing it till now and this is just cropping up. Or it could be something that, again, maybe twice during those two months she did a skydiving thing and now in the past weeks it's been something she's returned to more and more. Uh, but it did – there is a degree to which some things, some of the plot lines, some of the talking about Janeway is stuff that – maybe Braga felt that yes this should be addressed Belana would have a lot of very complex feelings after learning this and we just didn't get to that last season I w- now I want to kind of deal with that the aftermath of that and I do respect that impulse in a way
1: Yeah yeah well well not to not to shit all over your theory but I mean take take this with a grain of salt as of anything on on memory alpha yeah, of course yeah, yeah. but Um, the memory alpha article for this episode does say that Brandon Braga was not entirely pleased with this episode. And part of the reason why he wasn't pleased with it is that, uh, it relied on information from previous episodes. Hmm, So take that, take that as you may. I don't really know, um, what his thought process was there. Uh, I don't know. This episode is good. I admire it. I think it's a very fine B'Elanna episode and Roxanne Dawson gets you know, a good chance to act the hell out of some scenes. She does not get a chance to do that often enough in my book because yeah. I, I do think she's a great actor and the show doesn't use her often enough or well enough. And I do appreciate when the show takes information that we have learned in previous episodes and does something interesting with it. And this makes sense, I think, for the character of Belana. You know, she is someone who is very ruled by her emotions. And when she is in a situation where essentially her emotions have shut off and she is extremely concerned about that because she is someone who feels her emotions very, very strongly... Uh, what is she going to do? She's going to turn to self harm, and I think it makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. And it's something that I really appreciate. It's a really, I think it's a really good character note for for Bellana.
0: In a way, I think the question, "What does severe survivor's guilt and depression look like for Balana Torres, a an officer on the highest tech spaceship in the Delta Quadrant?" and I think the mechanics of how they go about it are interesting because – I mean when you say self-harm, I think cutting and all of that, the typical that somebody now in 21st century America would do, but it would be very different for Bolana to do that. She she has a holodeck. She does have ways of doing that, which she could very easily rationalize as not actually being in the self-harm realm, not actually being a risk. It's just a holodeck even if the safety protocols are off. I'm just getting bruises. I'm a Klingon. I can deal with this. And I don't know. It. it I mean, it is an upsetting episode to watch, and it is one of those that does make sense because B'Elanna is somebody who isn't really great at figuring out how to confide in other people. Uh, even Tom is not somebody that she... It, Even though she is in this relationship with Tom, I don't picture her telling him her deepest, darkest, innermost secrets all the time. I don't think she is comfortable being quite that intimate all the time. And so there are going to be major things that she's going through that she will hide from him. And I also really like that it's Chakotay who is able to start bringing her out of this because he probably is – Number one, the only person on the ship that she would be comfortable talking to in such an intimate way, and he's also the only person on the ship who kind of has an inkling of exactly what she's going through for because he knew the same people.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right because, you know, I, I really like that, that Chakotay and Belana scene towards yeah. the end of the episode that you're referencing when, when she tells him, you know, exactly what's going on and why it's going on. And it, it, it's such a powerful scene because, you know, once again their relationship has always been one that I really like and I think the show yeah. uses very well you know they have an understanding as the series has gone on and as they've gotten pulled in different directions and developed a little bit in different directions Chakotay has a responsibility as first officer of the ship B'Elanna has responsibilities as chief engineer you know is also in this romantic relationship with Tom Paris that yeah. they they don't really strike me as people that that hang out a lot or talk a lot but but they always are I think they're always there for each other Chakotay knows how to check up on Balana. Balana, I don't think, really checks up on, on Chicote as much, but she kind of knows what's going on with him. But I do think that that it makes sense again that it's Chicote because that's something he's always done for her. You know, he's always yeah. checked up on her. He's always kind of been able to call her on her bullshit. And you know, I'm not saying and I'm not saying of course that depression is, is bullshit. No, no, no. Not, but it's more like she's not admitting to herself what is really going on here and yeah, the bullshit is you know, the, the other denial too, she's
0: in. Yeah.
1: The denial she's in exactly. And, and I think that what's so striking to me about, uh, uh, this entire plot line is that once again, Janeway seems very, very disengaged from it. And she doesn't really seem all that interested in figuring out what's going on. I, I, I do think that this is a point I come to again and again with Star Trek Voyager where I'm just kind of like, I don't think Janeway's very good at any of this. And yeah. she clearly has an officer, an important officer, a senior officer who has completely checked out. I mean, that briefing scene where they're talking about the the Delta Flyer and is basically given one word answers uh, and she doesn't seem very interested in anything that's going on. Anyone else would be like, what the fuck is happening? And and Janeway is just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then she finds out what's been going on about all her injuries, about how much she's hurt herself. You know, yeah. the doctor basically says that she almost died and that she's been treating herself. And Janeway just goes, well, whatever. I'm taking you off the Delta Flyer project and you need to figure this out. I mean, it's okay that Janeway isn't touchy feely, but at the same time, like, I think she needs to take some more responsibility for Yeah. The well being of her of the people that are under her command. I don't know. Well, is that a weird thing to say? Like
0: To me, the way, to me this is very much of a piece with Knight because Janeway was going through not quite the same thing B'Elanna is going through, but a cousin to that. She is second guessing herself, she is horrified that she's made an irrevocable decision. She is Going stir-crazy from having nothing to do. She's worried that she's condemned all... She's going through some bad stuff, and she locks herself in her room, and she vaguely talks to Chakotay about it a bit, but she's not that... it's not as if she's comfortable completely opening up. And remember, how does Janeway get out of that funk? Well, shit starts to happen, and that's, yes, we're going to get the power cell. We're going to do this. In other words, I don't think Janeway quite resolves her deal in the episode of Night uh, because the plot kicks in. And so, therefore, I don't think of Janeway as the kind of person who is – able to healthily deal with all of the situations that she does most of the time. She just kind of ignores the problem, hopes it goes away and distracts herself. And so from that point of view, I think she kind of – does because Janeway would never want somebody forcing her to talk about it and sitting her down and all that. That would make her uncomfortable. And so I think she is – Treating Balana in the slightly unhealthy way that she would want to be treated. Yeah, I I I
1: I think that's probably right.
0: I mean, I mean, I because when you were saying, yeah, she she, uh, Chakotay is the one who's able to. She doesn't really check because when you said earlier, I don't think she really checks up on Chakotay as much. Chakotay, I think, has a lot healthier ways of dealing with his demons. He has a spiritual practice and his traditions and all of that, and that is something that he draws his strength from and is able to resolve his situations through that way. When Chakotay has a major problem, he will meditate on it, go on a vision quest if it's severe enough, do all of those things. He has his support system, but Balana and Janeway don't really have anything like that that they draw on. The closest they have is Starfleet, and sometimes they're friends, but again, the two of them do stay a little aloof. That is kind of, to me, part of the understanding between Bolana and Janeway. The two of them do seem to—I mean, it's almost ironic. The two of them understand each other very well because they have a lot in common, and because of that understanding and because of the way that they— have that in common they don't pry does that make sense
1: it does make sense yeah I mean I I agree with that I think that well you know what what kind of go sideways at that because I think that that one of the things that this episode kind of crystallizes for me in a way is that a lot of the characters in Star Trek Voyager are are have have mental health issues and if you think about it like that makes you they're, they're in a very, uh, you know, mentally, physically stressful situation. They're cut off from support networks. You know, there is no mental health, you know, provider on, on, on the ship. And, you know, you've got Neelix who, who like tried to commit suicide a few episodes ago. You've got B'Elanna having, you know, some serious depressive episodes and self-harm. Um, you know, a lot of other characters have had similar situations. Seven of nine. God, we do even start with her. And there's no real i mean again it's it's subtle i don't i don't know if the show is necessarily going in this direction or not but i i kind of feel like it is because this episode makes it very clear that there is an understanding that all of these characters would have some psychological issues and i think the other thing that's interesting about you know what we're talking about is that i can almost see a version of this show where chicote decided to become a counselor and, you know, not necessarily like a training or anything because he really couldn't, but just kind of like acting as a counselor instead of Neelix because Neelix is fine and Neelix does what he does and he can make banana pancakes, but, or replicate them, but he's not a a mental health professional. And, you know, Belana obviously needs like some serious mental health, uh, uh, help and she's not going to get it. And I think that the, the one perhaps, failing of this episode is that the the resolution of her issue is a little too pat but i mean what are you gonna do right
0: yeah i mean i took that to be at the end of the episode you know she takes this bite of banana pancake and finally smiles and to me i'm not quite taking that as everything's fixed everything is great no this is just finally balana unburdens herself and she's able to have a tiny moment where she's actually enjoying something and that's the first step on a very long road to recovery uh again i'm not expecting that we're gonna have episodes and episodes of balana getting over her problems uh but we're gonna assume it's happening in the background and that she is able to at least wrestle them long enough to do her job frankly
1: Well, I think we'll leave extreme risk there and move on to In the Flesh. But before we do that, I just want to take a quick opportunity to once again remind anyone listening to this podcast that this podcast is listener supported. We do rely on your generous donations each and every month to continue to bring this podcast and tuning in our other podcast to you. So if you do not give right now, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and do so. Okay, let's talk about In the Flesh, which uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush. This is the final appearance of Species 8472. Oh. Uh damn. I, I have some... yeah. I damn! Know. Cause... I, I have some problems with the way that they're portrayed in this episode or developed in this episode. More to do with the way Voyager treats them more than anything else, but... I think this is a really, really interesting use of them in a really good episode.
0: I frankly thought that this was the start of an actual arc with them. Uh, Stupid me, I guess. But because there is (laughs) how many? I know. I know. I had
1: to disabuse you of that notion on Star Trek Voyager. You should know by now. But you've
0: told me several times, like I've said, like oh, well, this is crap, and you're like, well, you should give Voyager a little more credit. Um, But what I. I just
1: I just like confusing you. I don't know what to say.
0: Uh because by the end of the Star Trek, Voy- Star
1: Trek Voyager is a confusing show. It is. It's just confusing. Yeah.
0: Because it does seem like they are setting up for something else, right? So we have this subgroup of species 8472 and because they have been living deep undercover as uh Starfleet people and posing as humans, they have come to understand humanity a little bit more have sympathies for it are able to understand and do diplomacy with them and get a friendship of sorts with them and but they do specifically say we don't know how the rest of everybody is going to take this this might be you know they may listen to us they may consider it they may understand it or they may not and I mean, that is a plot right there, okay? You have suddenly 8472 for the first time in its existence is split between two factions and one of them being pro-human, one of them being anti-human, and that is – there is so much that you can go with that. But just like the Q War, for example, I don't I, – I, I get the sense they don't want to actually touch that.
1: I, I think yes. I mean, I, I, I read in the flesh a little differently, and perhaps it's because, of course, I've, I've seen it before, as I've seen all of Star Trek before, is that, for me, this reads like an ending, not like a beginning. Hmm. I, I really can't see a way that this could have become an ongoing arc on Star Trek Voyager, at least. I, I was going to say, Star Trek yeah. Voyager is a show that moves forward. Star Trek Voyager is not a show that moves backwards. And... It's interesting to me that species A four seven two has stuck around as long as it has, and and it hasn't even stuck around that long. It's only been, well, the very end of the third. Just season, over a so season. A over, yeah, a little over a season. That's pretty long for Star Trek Voyager, and. You know, start. You know, species A four seven two has also not been in the show that much. They they were in the Scorpion two parter. They were in one of the episodes with the Herojin, and they're in this episode and the gift. But I think that this is about what you can do with them because they're too expensive an uh, effect yeah. to use a lot. It's frankly not as believable, I think, as they would have liked. <laughs> like, I don't think that the CGI effect of Species Eight Four Seven Two is, is is all that great, and at least not in twenty eighteen.
0: I don't know how this would have read in nineteen ninety eight, but
1: it didn't. It didn't read great okay. in nineteen ninety eight. Trust me. I don't think that you could really develop this species very well because they are they're they're a CGI effect and. Yeah. This is a very interesting sideways approach to to getting some more development for species eight four seven two, uh, but at the same time, I think the fact that we never learned what their actual name is, yeah, is indicative is indicative of how the how much the show was actually interested in them.
0: Yeah, exactly. There is no. Mo- th- I, I, they call them 8472 to their face, and nobody says, oh, that's what you call us? How interesting. We refer to ourselves as blah, blah, blah. Um, and I don't – yeah, it, it, it's – this is where I, I, I feel like, again, people talk about attention to detail on Voyager. I think the fact that the show doesn't recognize that we might care as a – Right. Yeah, because I care. Very much what 8472 calls itself. I think that is important. And uh, the show isn't interested in that.
1: Well, I think especially, you know, in an episode that was written by Nick Sagan, Carl Sagan's son. Oh, wow. Uh like, that seems very, very odd to me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure that Nick Sagan would have had Carl Sagan's, you know, broad-minded love of everyone rubbed off on him. And, and perhaps he wanted to give Species Eight Four Seven Two to a name. I, I don't know. In in a sense, it's very difficult for Star Trek to pull this off because, you know, Star Trek aliens are always people in human makeup. And always, there's, there's only so yeah. far you can go with that. And species eight four seven was was one of their only attempts at not doing that. And then the way that they try and develop them further is by putting them in human bodies because you can't really talk yeah. to species eight four seven too. They they've they've kind of they've kind of intimated that maybe they can't even physically talk. I mean they they're telepathic, but they don't have there, mouths. Yeah, there aren't many telepaths on Voyager. So there there's something very animalistic about them, and it's something which has always made me uncomfortable because. You know, sentient species in Star Trek are, are, are very rarely portrayed as animalistic, but they don't wear clothes. I mean, there's all kinds of, of, of issues with this. But I do think that once again, leaving aside species A472, this is a really, really good example of Voyager once again raising the question of what exactly the results are. Of of how Janeway is handling her time in the Alpha Quadrant because or in the Delta Quadrant because, you know, I, I remember talking about when 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 species A first appeared in the Scorpion two parter saying you know they don't seem very interested in figuring them out you know and then you were like oh whatever they're just saying that they're <laughs> animals and they want to destroy everybody and I'm like yeah but that's not really Star Trek knowing that this episode was coming down the pike. And I, I I I I think this is a valiant attempt at sort of like retconning that a little bit, but at the same time, it's 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 essentially a a series of misunderstandings, and this episode goes a long way towards towards rectifying that.
0: I know part of the problem for me is that the misunderstanding was that you know you started waving torches and screaming "Hail Hitler," and now you're shocked we thought you were Nazis. I mean, that is... They 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 are trying to... Ex- saying that they want to exterminate all life, and as far as we know, that's what they were doing. Again, it, it, retcon, I think, is a good word for that. I feel like at the time of Scorpion, it was safe to say 8472 are the bad guys. They are the level of evil beyond the Borg, and this treatment of them and maybe even in prey for example the ability to sympathize with 8472 is something that needed a little time to come although that might have been the plan from the beginning again i don't know how i doubt that that was well i I doubt that it was that detailed but i i think it is possible to say yes and later on we'll humanize them or something like that we'll make them sympathetic and that's you know call it a day
1: I mean, I, I I do think that's fair, and I, I I think there's something to that. And I I I mean, I, I think back to the scene with Seven and the Doctor, where they're they're discussing species eight four seven two, and they've got the guy in the in the hall of, in the uh, sick bay, who, who turns out to be species eight four seven two, and they're having that conversation about basically about diplomatically talking to species eight four seven two, and Seven is like, no, it's impossible. I, I would never believe this could happen. And you know the doctor says, "Well, that's what people used to say about the Borg." And she raises her eyebrow, and then the episode, you know, the scene yeah. fades out. But I, I think that's a perfect, you know, when, when Star Trek Voyager is firing all, on all cylinders, I think it does a really good job with small details like that. And that's a perfect example of Star Trek, I think, at its best, where it takes a, a, you know an alien species, a civilization, what have you, and turns everything that you thought you knew about them on their head and. While I do think that the idea that they were able to to negotiate with the Borg diplomatically is a bit of a stretch to to be uh, to to be charitable about it, I think there's some truth to that. Just as I think there's some truth to the fact that species a four seven two is coming to the table in good faith at the end of this episode.
0: Yeah, I. I... Both sides kind of recognize, you know, we did a lot of really shitty things at that time. We did a lot of stupid things. We reacted to reactions and ultimately, yeah, let's stand down our guns on that because neither of us really want this. And And, and, that is a difference between the Borg and 8472 because the Borg do view conquest and assimilation and all that – as integral to their identity I don't know if there and maybe the show will be going into this as it goes more into the Borg but I don't know if there is a version of the Borg that can exist without uh without assimilation just as you know it, it, it's part of the definition of cancer that it divides and feeds on you on the body um If you have a Borg that does not assimilate, is it Borg anymore? And that is part of the questions that they're doing with Seven of Nine. But I think they are making it clear that, no, that drive to exterminate all impure life and all of that was maybe a reaction to the fact that they were suddenly being attacked and just scared shitless from that. And now that we've all calmed down and we're talking about it, yeah, we don't really want to kill all of you.
1: (laughs) I, no, I agree, because I, I, I think that what, what I was thinking about that is, you know, and, and again, this is maybe a bit of a retcon on the part of, of of Scorpion, but, you know, all that stuff about exterminating all life in the galaxy might have been Species 8472 thinking that all life in this yep. galaxy was the Borg. and And what I like about In the Flesh so much is that this is an attempt to... Do exactly the opposite of what they were doing before, where they are taking their time, they are being deliberate. I mean, there, there's a line in the episode that says that they have many of these scattered all throughout the Delta Quadrant. There's not just one, you know, hologram of of Starfleet Academy or Starfleet Command. So they have a bunch of training grounds, and you know, who knows what they're doing? They might be even different species in the Federation. You know, there might be a Vulcan one, there yeah. might be an Andorian one, there might be a Bolian one, et cetera, et cetera. And they're they are taking their time and they're being very deliberative. And they're being deliberative about the fact that they want to infiltrate the Federation. You know, they're not, they're not going to wage all out war on the Federation. At least that's not what they tell Janeway and the rest of the crew. But it, they are trying to understand them. And, and in that understanding, I think that they're coming to uh, respect and, and sympathize with the
0: Federation. And that's really nice. I do find that d- bit pretty funny because they're going to infiltrate Earth, and then they're going to find out that half of the leaders are human and adorn. And then there's also a bunch of changelings around on Earth at this point because yeah, about <laughs> about is th- yeah, this is exactly been done on Earth already. Uh, but they're going to get so confused, the poor things. Uh- <laughs> They're going to start yelling
1: telepathically. All the Vulcans are going to be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's that's a subtext to it as well. Certainly that that this was also going on, and that Voyager didn't know that was going on, and that the audience yeah. ostensibly who's also watching Deep Space Nine would know that that was going on. That the Federation is being sort of assaulted on all sides is is
0: definitely a problem. Yeah, and the fact uh, that eight four seven two doesn't seem to know anything about this either. Does suggest a bit of their naivete in a way, and in other words, they can have a a a simulation that is detailed to the point of having Boothby give roses to uh, Janeway like he did, but they all they they're missing the big thing in that the 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 Alpha Quadrant is already at war.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought that—I mean, the, what's interesting is that the episode is never really clear about whether or not Species 8472 has has gone to the Alpha Quadrant to get this information. I, I think the implication is that they have, because why would they be doing this if they couldn't get to the Alpha Quadrant? There would be no real reason to do so. And yeah. I also think it's interesting that the episode never really uh, latches onto that as any sort of bargaining chip, where it's kind of like, "Well, we'll give you what you want if you tell us how to travel to the Alpha Quadrant, yeah. because we're trying to get home." There, there's no indication given that that that, that even occurred to Janeway. Yeah, can you help? Can you but, guide us
0: through fluidic space, and we'll, you know, th- that that could have been a perfect. Well, you told me you were going to guide me through. We're going to go through fluidic space and end up another ten years closer to home because. The show has been fine for giving us skips, right? And I think they can skip ahead a few years every so often and still be in time for their seventh year. But again, who knows how they're going to end this thing?
1: Yeah, you might be surprised at how that happens, but we'll find that out at, uh, I guess, the end of
0: 2018. Um, It's like on Gilligan's Island. It's like on Gilligan's (laughs) Island when they find out they were actually like two miles from shore the entire time. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I, I think the other thing that's really nice about this episode is that it's just kind of nice to, to see Starfleet Command again. And it's just yeah. kind of nice to like be outside and, and Chakotay gets a chance to have a little bit of a romance and there's a little bit of intrigue going on here and he gets to be the spy and she gets to be the spy with him. You know, he thinks he's playing her, she's playing <laughs> him to get his DNA. There there's a lot of nice stuff here. I mean, this episode is very, very nicely plotted and it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, again, this was a good episode. And in terms of, I mean, all of these four episodes so far have been very different and they are trying to, and they are all very solid episodes. Again, we are still in the realm of episodic TV and I kind of love it because you are able to, these are four kind of tonally different episodes and they're about different things even though there are, they all fit within the realm of high concept sci-fi, we've had uh, a region of space with nothing. We've had a ran- uh, magical Borg drone from the future. We've had a space race, and now we have this simulation and a weird and in- alien invasion plot. They are completely different from each other. I do like the the variety, the range, and tone here. Yeah,
1: it's nice to see for sure.
0: There is, you know, Game of Thrones is a band playing the same exact style of song over and over again, and that's their career. This is one of those albums where, all right, well, the first track is dance, and then we get into rock, and then we have an R&B song, and then we're going to do a slow ballad kind of a thing. Yeah. So... I guess the
1: other thing here is, you know, something we've intimated at the beginning of of this episode, which is kind of talking about how the, the show is, is more willing to, to sort of critically engage with the idea that Janeway is, is a little bit of a fuck up. And I, I mean, obviously when I was pushing you on Species 8472 and their earlier appearances where you were very insistent on buying the party line that the show was telling you that they were basically Nazis and they were the bad guys and that there was nothing ever to be done about that. And I knew that this was coming. Uh, what I find also interesting about this, and I, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this, is that this is yet another example of the show going back to a well, which it has done again and again at this point, uh, very in, in very fast succession, where Janeway's decisions to do certain things and, and be a little bit rash about making those decisions has cause some real problems and i think that that something like this where it just so happened that they happened to find out that this was going on and if voyager had not stumbled upon the fact that species 8472 was doing this ostensibly species 8472 in a year's time would have completely infiltrated all of starfleet and all of the federation uh what Janeway is doing here is having some real consequences. And I'm not sure that she's taking the right lessons from this.
0: Yeah. This is another angle in where the fact that Voyager all is all alone means they can't solve things optimally. Uh, Most of the time that has gone into, well, we would be able to help all of these people on this planet because we would just get a Starfleet team to come in and show them how to use the industrial replicators and then we'll have a cultural team which is helping them do this and all of that and that will – but they can't do that because they don't have – just as in the Omega Directive they say, well – if we were in the Alpha Quadrant, I would flag it and we'd get a, t- a specialist team in to deal with this. In the case of First Contact, you would get a specialist First Contact team. Janeway would have her first contact with 8472, immediately call Starfleet, and the Starfleet negotiators would go in and they may come. they may have come to this point a lot sooner. And it is almost an unfortunate thing that... Janeway is almost forced to have a much, much broader skill set than she has just because she has to do – has to put on a lot more hats due to the fact that there's no one else around to take certain roles, and again, she has always had trouble relying on her team to handle all of that with her but i i i i think these are the unfortunate consequences of what happens when you're doing all of this yourself and trying to get these and dealing with the massive problem of having to get everybody home
1: yeah i i think that's right i mean i i actually think that that this episode had a little bit of of detail about that of course because you know chakotay and janeway are having that conversation about oh when was the last time you were at starfleet command yeah. and Janeway says, "Oh, it was when I reported to get my initial orders for for Voyager." And I, I I take that to be. I mean, we had that question way back when we talked about the pilot caretaker. We were wondering, you know, is Janeway the captain of this ship? Is she just being is she just being trans uh, transferred to the ship? Is she a new captain on the Voyager? And it seems like. Uh, maybe she wasn't a new captain, but Voyager was a new assignment for her because she does say in this episode that she got her sort of like initial orders to go off and find the Maquis in the Badlands. And there's a little bit of a moment in the episode. But it also indicates to me that you don't give that kind of assignment to just any captain. And... I, I think back again to to the um, detail in night when Tuvok and Chakotay were talking about Janeway, and Tuvok relayed that story about yeah. you know one of her first assignments and how people got injured, and then she went down herself and did it without telling anyone to finish the job. That there is a core of stubbornness to Janeway, and there is a core of getting the job done at any cost to Janeway. Yeah, and. Giving, giving an assignment like going into the Badlands and smoking out some Maquis is exactly the type of yeah. mission that you would give Janeway. But I don't know that Janeway is a very good exploration captain.
0: No, she. I mean, she is certainly very science-minded. When she has a science adventure, she is in her element. But she's also the kind of person who, if your mission relies on the other guy blinking before you do, you send Janeway in because she will not blink. And right. she is tough as nails when she needs to be. She is very good at that. Again, they would have they would put her into very specific situations that needed that because they have a full roster of captains. Some, will, some, yes, Picard is going to be much better on this particular mission. We're going to have Picard do that. Oh, we'll have Cisco do that. Oh, we're you know, having that. We'll have Janeway do this one. But now Janeway has to do missions that. Picard would be in. Put Picard in Scorpion and you're going to have a very different episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, because that, you know, I mean, that makes me realize, too, that that something in the flesh kind of highlights as well is, is the idea that and, that, and that which you just said as well, that I think that, that Picard, that the character of Picard has been... Sort of bad for Star Trek in a way, Hmm. because he was such a different type of captain than Kirk, and that was of course by design. Yeah. That Janeway, in a sense, is hearkening back to a to a more Kirk-like captain. And I would even say Cisco is more of a Kirk-like captain. I I don't think that he has I mean, because obviously speaking, like the very first uh, episode of Deep Space Nine very explicitly had Cisco You know, essentially telling Picard to fuck off. Uh, You you know, they were doing that for a very particular reason, Mm -hmm. and then you get Janeway, who is even more of that sort of style of of captain than than Cisco was. And I I wonder if a lot of people's reactions to Janeway have more to do with the fact that they keep expecting Picard than anything else. Well,
0: Picard is a really interesting figure because. Out of all the captains we've had, I think he's the only one who's intended to be a paragon. In other words, Captain Kirk is a cool, ba- sure. badass character that we have, and he, of course, does exemplify, exemplify the Federation in the in and Starfleet. In the way, he is a good representative, just as everybody else is a good representative, but. Picard is explicitly the values of Starfleet and the Federation incarnated in a person. In the very first episode of Next Generation, we have God essentially looking at Picard and saying, yes, you're interesting, you actually might be these values uh, lived, and any decision you are going to make for the rest of the series is going to be... What is Starfleet working at its best going to think about this? And, and that even continues into the very last episode, which is, again, humanity itself on trial in the person of Picard. We don't have yeah, that – We even with Cisco as the religious emissary of Bajor doesn't – Represent a paragon in that same sense as Picard does and certainly Janeway doesn't. This is just a – this is a person, a captain, a – who is in a very weird and unusual situation for seven years.
1: Yeah. And I mean, honestly, too. I mean, when push comes to shove, she she usually does come out with the right thing. I yeah. mean that The 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 very tense scene in the briefing room towards the end of this episode, where the representatives from from species eight four seven two and and the representatives of the Voyager crew are, are having this really tense discussion. I mean, it's very very well done, and you know, Janeway pulls it out. I mean, she she gets species eight four seven two to back down to try and get. The, the rest of them to to agree to sort of like shut this program down essentially yeah. and that's that's a success now uh you know it remains to be seen if that's actually going to be successful or not and and we never see species a four seven two again so we don't know if it's going to be successful unless they do a you know a post Voyager spin spinoff after discovery and, and 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 you know it's all about species a four seven two or something but it's it's nice to see at least
0: Yeah, no, and as much – yes, of course, and Janeway is still a Starfleet captain, and she is going to do the right thing, even though if sometimes she doesn't do the right thing, because even Picard was allowed to be wrong sometimes, Uh, certainly because he he is Picard, he recognizes it by the end of the episode – apologizes and fixes his own problems but the show does acknowledge that these the shows do acknowledge that these people are human and Janeway may just simply be more human because each successive series allows the characters to be a little more human
1: yeah I think that's right and I think that's a good place to leave in the flesh all right, well, if you have any thoughts on extreme risk or in the flesh, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. As we said earlier, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. If you give us $5 a month or more, you get access to one special episode each and every month that we do just for $5 a month patrons. There's many, many of them now. I think there's 27 or 28 of them, something ridiculous like that. Uh, so if you love Trek about and want even more of it, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show, and it has been too long since we have received one, and we need a pick-me-up. All right, next week, we're going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes Once Upon a Time and Timeless. It's Time Week on Voyager.
0: And it's time for us to go.